It's, uh, it's really nice to be here. Are we okay? It's really kind of a shame that we have to talk about things of darkness, things of deception, but uh, Jesus warned in Matthew 24, 3 to 5, he said, when asked by the disciples, what will be the sign of your return and the end of the world? He said, take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. I have been warning for I've been a believer for 30 years. Uh, we pretty much came right through deception, so we saw it pretty quickly coming into the church. And I've warned a lot about false Christ moving into the church. The false Christ is now in the church. This book, Jesus Calling, the false Christ is in the church. Uh, I've written a book, Another Jesus Calling, uh, that's from Scripture in 2 Corinthians 11. Unfortunately, the church has 10 million copies of Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, have been sold. It is the number one best-selling Christian book right now. Last year, it was the number two best-selling book of all books that was on the New York Times bestseller list. And what I've found is that it seems like half the church is either doing the book, the other half doesn't know much about it. So I felt led to write the book and to show some of the unbiblical. She has messages that she says come directly from Jesus Christ. She wrote them down in the form of a devotional. And she said she was inspired by a book called God Calling. And God Calling is a channeled New Age book. If you have the Encyclopedia of New Age Beliefs published by Christian publisher Harvest House, uh, it, in the channeling section it says God Calling is a channeled New Age book. John Ankerberg and John Weldon wrote that book. And uh, it's pretty amazing that she just right out front said that she was inspired by the book God Calling to write her book. And since my book came out, the publisher, Thomas Snelson, and the author have now removed all references to God calling. They've also removed many of the other things that we critiqued with not a word. It's pretty much like the Watergate tapes. There's a lot of manipulation going on. It's sort of a combination of the demonic realm bringing stuff in, uh, and I suggest that she was not listening to Jesus Christ. She was listening to another Jesus. She was listening to a seducing spirit. 1 Timothy 4.1, you know, the Apostle Paul said, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. That's exactly what this book is. And it causes a lot of anger. The people that are challenged on this book, they get angry because there's a spirit involved with the book. Um, anyway, uh, I just wanted to frame the reason that we're doing this, 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan get an advantage of us for we're not ignorant of his devices, but unfortunately the church has become ignorant. Part of the reason, or major part of the reason, is that most Christian leaders are not addressing what's going on. There's a lot of talk about revival. There's a lot of talk about everything except what's right in front of our face, which is a tremendous amount of deception coming into the church. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5 that it's a shame that we have to talk about these things, but we must. We must bring the things of darkness into the light because that's not happening, uh, the scripture that comes to mind would be 1 Corinthians 14.8. If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? Uh, if we're not being warned about these things, then, uh, then we're not going to be prepared when they come in. And it's just amazing that um, a book like The Aquarian Conspiracy, it's a New Age book that came out in 1980. And the author of that book, Marilyn Ferguson, said, we're here. We're the new age, and we have a great heretical idea, God in everyone. It's going to take a little while, but when it's widely communicated, it will become what we now know 
and the wide communication came from Oprah Winfrey. She's been foremost in terms of popularizing New Age teachings. She's had just about every New Age teacher that I've watched through the years on her program recommending their books, and their books fly to the top of the New York Times bestseller list right after she... I've been in Barnes & Noble when uh, people come in and go, what's that book that Oprah just mentioned on her TV show like an hour ago? It's, It's unbelievable the power that she wields. She's a very sincere person. She's done a lot of really good things, but that's what makes this so dangerous. When you mix truth and error, when you do good works, and then you do things like, uh, for instance, we, we're singing the old rugged cross. Oprah Winfrey has endorsed a set of books supposedly from Jesus Christ called A Course in Miracles. And the Jesus of A Course in Miracles says, do not make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. Everything is turned upside down, but it's sandwiched in other scripture. It's sandwiched in love, peace, and happiness. And it's, uh, it's going largely unnoticed by uh, much of Christian leadership. As I mentioned last night, um, one of the few men that have been pointing out these things is John MacArthur. Uh, you know, but I'm not aware of too many other leaders. As a matter of fact, they're doing the opposite. Anyway, I want to do, uh, go through my testimony a little bit just so you can see uh, not just so much that I got saved, but that I was sort of, I'm sort of a stand-in for just thousands upon thousands, millions of people that have gone into the New Age. The way that I was drawn in is very typical. It comes in different ways, but the techniques are are pretty much the same. A number of years ago, I was at the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory in San Francisco. Some of you may have been there. They have really good chocolate, and they have uh, amazing Sundays. And we were getting a Sunday that night. And we had numbers, and we were waiting to have our number called. And the next number was called 666 and this guy in the back goes, yes. And he kind of did a, you know, a two-step, uh, sort of a Frankensteinian two-step up to the counter. Everybody in the place kind of tittered, but it was a nervous titter. It wasn't like, you know, a big laugh. It was like pe- it made people uncomfortable to have that number out there like that. Uh, Chuck Smith, the uh, founder of Calvary Chapel, uh, back in 1976 wrote a book called The Soon-to-Be-Revealed Antichrist. On the front cover of the book, it says the stage is being set, the, the world and the minds of men are being conditioned for a leader, one who can establish peace and safety in these perplexing times. That, of course, you know, relates to the scripture in 1 Thessalonians, you know, peace and safety and then destruction. It looks good. Uh, Oprah fulfills Jeremiah's prophecy, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah, uh, 53031, a wonderful and a horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and my people love to have it so. What does everybody say about Oprah Winfrey? Wonderful. What's she doing? As you'll see, horrible. She's turning the Bible upside down, and she's saying she's a Christian in the process. And most people don't know how to respond to that. So part of what I hope we can get out of tonight is that when people say that they're a Christian, and you know, someone like Oprah, where you know that's not quite true, but how do you refute that, or how do you talk about that, or how does somebody that's in the New Age and saying that they love Jesus? My next door neighbor was—I found out later—was praying when I was a kid, praying for our whole family for years. And when I was in the midst of the New Age, she came back one time for uh, a vacation, and she said, "Warren," she says, "How do you feel about Jesus?" And I said, "I love him." She said, "Oh, good. We've been praying for you." And she didn't ask me any more questions, but I was like in the new age. You know, it was like I was totally 
you know, in opposition to everything that, that the gospel really said. The Bible predicts these events and describes this man of solutions whose number is 666. Well, I became one of his followers and evangelists, but I didn't know it. I thought that what I was doing was of God. How did I get involved in spiritual things? It was not anything very um, commendable. Uh, I had sort of a fascination for a waitress in my hometown up there in Chico, California, Northern California. And I asked her over to my house one night for dinner. And in the course of the evening's conversation, she said that she really loved the music of country singer John Prine and that she was really into metaphysics. And she had a friend of a friend that was coming in from Canada that was going to be doing psychic readings. Would I like to do that? Well, the next day I went out and bought two John Prine albums, and I had already signed up to see the psychic, even though it's from the East Coast and had sort of a gut sense that this was really not something that was very good to do. I was in a very liberal church when I was a kid. There was no devil. You know, we didn't talk about anything really significant happening on the cross. The cross was talked about, but in a very general sense. So um, all of a sudden, I'm seeing a psychic, and I'm there, and she presses the recorder, and she sits there looking at me, looking at, at my aura. And she says, you know, I'm having a really hard time finding your aura. And I went, oh, really? You know, it's like, you know, I knew enough about it. You're supposed to at least have an aura, you know. Then she says, oh, I'm starting to see it. It's really black. And I'm going, great, could we just start over again? So then she says, well, it's coming more into view. She says, you are physically and mentally overdeveloped and you're spiritually underdeveloped. And that was very true. And then she said a whole lot of stuff about me that she had no business knowing. I mean, stuff I hadn't told the waitress, uh, things that she just shouldn't have known. So she had my attention as she's talking about my social life, my work. I didn't, you know, I didn't know uh, Acts 16, 16. I didn't know about the soothsayer, the psychic at Philippi that was following around behind Paul and Silas going, oh, you're from the most high God. Finally, Paul turned to her and said, spirit of divination in the name of Jesus Christ, leave. And it did. The reason that they were thrown into the Philippian jail was because they put a psychic out of business because she was doing it with a divining spirit. It wasn't some gift that she had. It was being done because the spirit world gets around, knows what's going on, comes in, whatever. So I wasn't aware of any of that. The Philippian jailer and his whole family got saved because a psychic was put out of business. And we, we could have a lot more people saved today here in this country and in the world if people would start exposing this stuff. And I'm just thinking like Roma Downey, who did the movie Son of God. She's a new age gal. And she's, she's right there in the midst of the church hobnobbing with Rick Warren and a lot of people and pretending that she's kind of like Oprah. She's just a regular old Christian. She was in a uh, musical thing with a lot of the uh, Jesus singers from the past, Love Song, Amy Grant, and, and Roma Downey was right there in the midst of it. We have what is going on is we have a mingling of the new age. The new age has been like this through the years. The church is here. They're getting closer. They're getting closer. Now they're starting to kind of come like this, and pretty soon it's going to be one. It's the ultimate ecumenicism. When the world will be as one was the main line in uh, John Lennon's song, Imagine. So towards the end of the psychic reading, I feel a whirling sensation over my head, and, I, and I'm going, what is going on? I mean, it was intense. It was, 
She's, without my saying anything to her, she says, are you aware that there's a ball of light over your head right now? I said, I don't know what it is, but I can feel it. What's a ball of light doing there? She said, you have a lot of help on the other side. And I said, what's the other side? She said, loved ones that have passed on, angels, spirits that are interested in your well-being. They want to help you, Warren, but you need to give them permission. You have to ask them to help you. Well, that didn't seem like such a big deal. I mean, I, I was going from no spirituality to all of a sudden, you know, God in the spirit world is reaching out to me. So that night on the flat roof of my house in a canyon in Northern California, I flashed back through my life, looked up at the stars, and I said, you on the other side, I want to be more spiritual. I want to grow. Come into my life. Now, I think most of you will recognize that is the opposite of the sinner's prayer. It's actually uh, Ephesians 4.27 where it says, neither give place to the devil. I just opened a door and said, come on in. But, you know, this is ultimate darkness. But, you know, the, the, the title of my book, The Light That Was Dark, that, those are Jesus' words in Luke 11.35. He says, take heed that the light that is in thee be not darkness. Satan comes as an angel of light. It looks good. It feels good. Oprah knows how to reach people. If When I was in the New Age, if I had her platform, if I had a show like that, I'd be doing exactly what she's doing. But she's so, And she's sincere, but she's so sincerely wrong. So right after that, my life started taking off like a rocket ship into the New Age. The way that a lot of things happened were what we called synchronicity. Uh, you might call them coincidence, meaningful coincidence or whatever. Things were almost arranged supernaturally to make it look like God was reaching out and bringing me into certain teachings. The first one was with a guru uh, from India, but I didn't know he was a guru. I was at uh, Big Sur on the California coast on New Year's Eve with my girlfriend at the time. And I wanted to do something really spiritual on New Year's Eve. You know, hey, I'm getting into spiritual things, and Big Sur is a wonderful place. And so I wanted to get a book. So I went to the spiritual section, which was probably mainly New Age stuff, and I saw this book called Journey Towards the Heart by Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. I don't know how many of you remember the guru that ended up in Oregon years ago. Some of the people have been around for a little while like me remember that. Well, he wasn't in Oregon. He was in India, but I didn't know he was a guru. He just said Indian master. I read the book, you know, Journey Towards the Heart. It sounded really good. Grabbed the book and went to the cash register. And at the register, I said, is there a good place to, you know, kind of like really neat to stay at tonight? He said, yeah, Deachins. But he has to like you for you to stay there. I said, what? He said, yeah, it's kind of weird, but it's a great place. Try it. So my girlfriend and I went down, and there were all these little cabins at the base of a mountain. And this guy, the, the owner, the manager, showed us around. I had picked out a cabin. We had picked out a cabin. And I came back, and all of a sudden, he's just like looking right into my eyes, like really intensely. He said, how would you like to stay on top of this mountain tonight? And I went, whoa, sure. Yeah, it's New Year's Eve. Why not? What, you got something up there? Because he hadn't shown us any cabins up there. He said, yeah, you can stay at Top House. So I went inside to get the uh, forms filled out. And she said, which cabin are you staying in? I said, we're staying in Top House. She said, you're staying in Top House? I went, yeah. And she goes, whoa, that's pretty unusual, you know, okay. So at sunset, a driver by the name of Orion, like the constellation, weaves us up this dirt road up the mountain. 
the sun flickering through the trees at sunset, we get up top of this mountain and we're looking down on sky wall to wall. It was like being in heaven. I think I described it as like being in a cabin in the sky. I'd never seen anything before or since that captured the essence of what it would feel like, to me anyway, to be in heaven. So Orion drops us off. I get the suitcase, the little suitcase we had, went up to the loft on this top house, and I had the book by Rajneesh, a man I'd never heard of before in my life, in one hand, put the suitcase down and looked to the right of the bed on the bedstand, Only One Sky by Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. And I was like, whoa, meant to be, wow, you know, God's really reaching out to me. You know the whole meant to be thing? Don't buy into that. The Lord can certainly arrange circumstances, but I'll tell you, this was a case where the devil had it really well planned. I was having a literal mountaintop experience, and I was being led into a whole Hindu New Age philosophy. I started reading those books, devouring them. Matter of fact, I didn't pay that much attention to my girlfriend. It was like I was just diving into these books, and as I read them, I felt uplifted. The spirit world can give you a real push when you're doing the stuff that they want you to do. And I suggest that some of these books like Jesus Calling have that same spiritual thrust that comes from the spirit world. So we spent the night. I was reading the books. We went back to Berkeley. And I wanted to go to a you know a metaphysical bookstore. So I went to the metaphysical bookstore, and this incredible music was playing. And I went, wow, what is that music? It's just it was like going deep into my soul. And I went over to the gal at the, at the, that ran the store, and I said, who is that? What is that music? And she said, here, it's Hari Deuter, Haleakala. I flipped the album over. There was a picture of Rajneesh. It said, this album is dedicated to my master, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. So I'm going right down the trail. I mean, it's like I'm being thrown all these bits and pieces, but I want to back up. The opposite of that that's happened in the church, or the same type of thing that's happened in the church, is somebody will uh, give you a copy of a book like The Shack, at work and say, hey, read this book. It's really good. And then a couple of days later, your Aunt Mary calls up and says, oh, wow, I'm reading this really great book, The Shack. And you're thinking, whoa. And then, you know, one more time, somebody, you know, a friend calls up and says, hey, you've got to read The Shack. And you go, whoa, meant to be. God wants me to read The Shack. Not necessarily. And in this case, no. So circumstances can be, you know, the drinks can be fixed. Circumstances can be arranged. The devil's doing a really good job of laying this stuff out. Books like Jesus Calling right now are, ex- are doing that exact same thing where people are buying these books by the 50s. They have a 12-pack. Like, like you get beer, you get Jesus Calling. And, and they're, you know, to share with others, to give these books out. And there's a spirit that comes with it. And if you don't, if you don't pray and if you don't have discernment, then you're going to be in trouble because it makes you feel good. There's a lot of scripture in there. But there's some things that are unbiblical, and there's tremendous problems in that book. And they're removing a lot of it as we, as we speak. So I got involved with the Rajneesh movement. I started wearing orange. I dyed my clothes orange, which is a color of uh, initiation you know, with uh, Hinduism and, and Buddhism. And, and so uh, I, was, I was very involved with Rajneesh groups, and uh, that was like a whole, whole period I went through. But each thing that you get involved in, like I saw the psychic, and then she kind of led me into, into asking the other side to come into my life, and then I'm doing Rajneesh, 
And then I started seeing a psychic in my town. And the psychic would finish her reading. She actually did the reading the night before. The night before. And it was real accurate and all sorts of stuff. You know, it was true. And then she'd have a book that you would read. And there was this book that she recommended. It was called Three Magic Words. And so when I got to the end of the book, the three magic words are, you are God. So Rajneesh had already introduced this whole idea of divinity. This was now being reinforced. And it was another segment of my journey. They were all kind of pieced together. It's like a patchwork quilt of deception. Where everything's being just kind of patched together. And you're coming up with a new belief system. I didn't have a belief system. I mean, I was just like, whatever. You know, I, I didn't. So I had nothing to combat that. <clears throat> so the next thing that I did after that was I was at a hot spring. And everybody was coming back from the masseuse saying, whoa, boy, was that good. That, what a great massage. So I go, okay, I'll get a massage. So I went, did the massage. And when I finished getting the massage, she said, you know, I've been working all day. She said, could you just do like, and it wasn't like a, you know, a sexual thing. It was just, she was tired. She said, can you just rub my shoulders and, and help me out here? I said, I don't know how to do that. She said, I'll instruct you. Okay, I did that. And she goes, oh, you're really good. You ought to go to massage school. Oh, I ought to go to massage school. So I went to massage school. <laughs> follow the, you know, follow the yellow brick road, you know. So at massage school, we're doing all this stuff. We're getting more new age philosophy coming in. And one of the women in the class says, Warren, you've got to read this book, Love is Letting Go of Fear. Uh, I think I heard in the study, uh, the systematic theologist before, and they were talking about let go and let God. That was right out of this book. And I would think there was a warning issued about you don't want to just let go and let God. Go with the flow, we used to say. So it was a book called uh, Love is Letting Go of Fear by Dr. Gerald Jampolsky, a psychiatrist. And he laid out all these things about forgiveness and gratitude, things that come right out of the Bible. But then there were some other things about, you know, creating your own reality. And I was really taken by the book. And at the end of the book, it says, everything in this book came from A Course in Miracles. And if you like what's in this book, get The Course in Miracles. So down to the old bookstore in Sacramento, I looked at The Course in Miracles, and I was astounded because it had a lot of Christian language, a lot of scripture. And I just was, like, thrown. And... It, it, what I found out later was that it was a false Christ and, and everything else. I'm going to got saved, but it's like I didn't know that. But it was all very subterfuge right in with the, the language. So I wasn't sure, and I went to the counter, and I, I was like, I don't know about this. I said to the young guy, I said, of course in miracles, do you know anything about it? <clears throat> he says, oh, yeah, I've been doing it for 16 months, and it changed my life. Okay, how much? 50 bucks? Okay, got it. So on we go. So I started reading it. I got involved with the Course in Miracles study group. I want to um, read to you what the Course in Miracles taught me about Jesus. And the important thing that you want to remember here is that the Jesus of A Course in Miracles is the one that channeled the book. In other words, a woman in New York City by the name of Helen Schuchman, she was a psychologist at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. Ironically, the same place that Dr. Oz does his cardiovascular surgery. Dr. Oz is another whole story. I've got a booklet called The Daniel Plan. If you want to see how far into the occult and the New Age Dr. Oz is, he said he matriculated at Oprah University. He was on five years on her program. And then now he's got his own show, his own magazine, and you know the rest is history. People love 
And yesterday at a conference that I was at in Frostproof, a man's wife is really having a lot of problems. And she actually, when you start not getting the medical answers that you want, you start to move out to the fringe, and pretty soon you can get into some of this new age stuff. And she watched Dr. Oz faithfully. And it, I know one program, I remember when Rick Warren brought Dr. Oz into the church with the Daniel Plan. How many of you heard of the Daniel Plan? It's a, it's a very popular program. It's supposedly based on, you know, Daniel's diet. It's really loose association. But uh, it, it's, you know, the book itself is okay, but why would you bring Dr. Oz, a major occultist, into the church? So I went to Rick Warren's website, and I saw that he had interviewed with Dr. Oz, and then Rick Warren had a, had a link to Dr. Oz's website. So I said, okay. So I clicked it. Go to Dr. Oz's website. First thing I see is, New York City, want to talk to the dead? It was John Edward was going to be on his program, a psychic, and he was going to help the audience communicate with their deceased loved ones. So I was doing a radio show the next day, and I made mention of that. You know, like, hey, you know, I was on Rick Warren's website looking at the Daniel plan. He had a link to Dr. Oz, and then, you know, New York City wanted to talk to the dead. The link on Rick Warren's website disappeared within 24 hours. It's kind of like Jesus calling. Take. It's like these guys are like two steps forward, one step back. I actually made a, a comment one time. I said, it's kind of like this with Rick Warren. You'll see a foot come through the door, and you go, hey, that looks like Rick Warren's foot. The foot disappears. His apologist steps forward and says, that categorically, absolutely, was not Rick Warren's foot. <laughs> Ten seconds later, the foot comes back through the door. I mean, Leonard Sweet, who is premier, avant-garde, quotes, leader in the church, who most people haven't heard of, but he's talking to leadership at almost every denominational level. In his book, Soul Tsunami, with a front cover endorsement by Rick Warren, he says this, to survive in the postmodern culture, you need to learn to speak out of both sides of your mouth. You know, when I was a kid, Lone Ranger had a Native American sidekick, and he said, you know, Kimosabe, me thinks he speaks with a forked tongue. Don't be impressed when some of these people are quoting scripture because it's what, what else are they saying? Put the whole thing in perspective. You know, Jesus talked about hypocrites. They say one thing, they do another, or they say one thing, then they say another. The Course of Miracles was channeled through this woman, Helen Shukman. She heard an inner voice saying, this is A Course of Miracles, please take notes. She did for like six to seven years. She would leave off wherever she was, and then when she would go back to doing it, it would pick right up right where she was at. Three volumes, $50 is what I paid for it back then. It, was, it would, you know, would have been, you know, in today's price, it would probably be more like $100. And the Jesus of A Course in Miracles said this, there's no separation of God and his creation. When God created you, he made you part of him. The recognition of God is the recognition of yourself. This is supposedly Jesus Christ with new revelation, new truths, helping us to understand what the Bible really meant to say. After all, it's 2,000 years old. I mean, how much value could that be, they would say. And the scripture says very clearly, in like Hosea, I am God and not man. Uh, a very telling scripture is Psalm 39.5. Verily, every man at his best state is absolutely vanity. Vanity. When asked if he was the Christ, he said, oh, yes, along with you. 
We're all Christ. We're all God. We're all one. What did Genesis 11 say? With the Tower of Babel going up, now that this people is one and they have one language, nothing will be restrained for them. God's not too impressed with worldly oneness. We are one in Christ when we accept him and we're converted. We are one in Christ, but everyone isn't naturally that. You're not that until you accept him as your Lord and Savior and believe. So there's a worldly oneness, and then there's the oneness that's in you know the book of John, and you know, we are, you know, one in Christ. But they play off of that. And like in Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren quoted a New Century Version Bible, and for Ephesians four six he said, God rules everything, is everywhere. I'm sorry, the Bible that he used said this, but he used it. He rules everything, is everywhere, and is in everything. In the message by Eugene Peterson, supposedly a, a, a good, loose translation and paraphrase that's been endorsed by a lot of Christian leaders, including uh, Beth Moore, right in the middle of the, of the uh, Lord's Prayer, where it says, in earth as it is in heaven, Peterson put, as above, so below. When I, went, when I read that, I went, wait a minute, that, that's the key to all magic and all mysteries in the occult. Google it sometime. It's just, you know, item after item after item into the occult. goes way back to the time of Abraham. Somebody emailed me and said, you know, I wrote Eugene Peterson back when they came out, and I said, did you know that as above, so below is a, is a huge, heavy, metaphysical New Age term? And Peterson wrote back and said, if I had known that, I wouldn't have used it. Well, that was about 15 years ago, and he's still using it. I hate to say it, but, you know, you, you can't just, a lot of people grab onto a particular Christian leader and make that their kind of like guru like I did with Rajneesh. The Jesus of A Course in Miracles says, the name of Jesus Christ as such is but a symbol. It's a symbol that is safely used as a replacement for the many names, all the gods to which you pray. Uh, excuse me, what does Philippians 2.9 say? Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Uh, there's a whole lot of these. I'll just do a couple quick ones, and, and we're going to do a, a, a clip. The journey to the cross should be the last useless journey, says the Jesus of A Course of Miracles. Do not make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. There's no sin. If we say we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Everything, it's like Isaiah. Good is evil, evil is good. Sandwich it with some scripture, put some love and happiness, sprinkle it with a little bit of gratitude, and you've got an incredible deception. Harry Ironside said that the most insidious form of deception is mixing truth and error. I'm writing my book in 1992. Moody Press published it. We were editing the book. I'm warning about A Course in Miracles. This is like in about February. I'm working in a, a homeless shelter, and I'm, I'm doing the editing late at night with guys snoring and trying to make my warnings for A Course in Miracles, you know. And all of a sudden, I read in the New York Times that there's a book coming out by a woman named Marianne Williamson, and it's called A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. Lo and behold, she's on Oprah in February, as I'm, as I'm writing my warning, and Oprah has her on the program, and Oprah says, holding her book, as I recall, this is one of the best books I've ever read. I'm going to show you the clip from that program. And she says, Oprah says, the teachings of A Course of Miracles can change the world. Well, it certainly could for the worse. It could be everything that we've been told about what's going to happen one day. 
believe me, Antichrist has moved incredibly swiftly recently, but he's been planting these seeds. I was evangelizing my community when I was in the New Age. I was getting people to read The Course of Miracles. I didn't know any better. The Course of Miracles can change the world. So in this clip, Oprah sets the whole thing up by scaring people. She shows all the bad things that are going on in society. She shows a clip from Grand Canyon, the movie Grand Canyon, where Danny Glover, not quite yet, uh, from Danny Glover saying, man, things aren't supposed to be like this. And then Oprah goes, world is not supposed to be like this, so what's gone wrong? And then, boom, she recommends The Course in Miracles. So during the uh, scare tactics that are going on and showing how things are bad in the world and we need something like A Course in Miracles to pick it up, Listen for the song Imagine by John Lennon of the Beatles. And at one point, you can hear, if you listen closely, he says, when the world will be as one. So uh, let's go ahead and, and run that clip. For years, it represents what a lot of us were doing when we were in the New Age and are still doing. Psalm uh, 11 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? A little leaven leavens the whole lump, Galatians 5.9. If this can be accomplished, if they can come up with this new teaching, by the way, Jesus calling, page 199, God is above all. I, well, he says, I am above all as well as in all. There it is there. In the shack, the Jesus of the shack says, God, who is the ground of all being, dwells in and around and through all things. There it is in the shack. Chicken Soup for the Soul, very first one. One of the co-authors, Jack Canfield, is a New Age leader. Google him. I mean, he's been in the New Age for years. He's got all sorts of books, New Age books. And on page 69, he, he wrote a story called The Golden Buddha, and he talks about the Christ essence that is in everyone. This stuff is coming in in so many different directions. And I'm not going to, like, I, I can do a few more just so you have an idea. Robert Schuller in 2003 uh, said, yes, God is alive and he is in every single human being. Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. God is in you on page 40. Oprah Winfrey on a show on the New Age that actually aired prior to that in 1987 had uh, a New Age ensemble on her program. And she said that um, Jesus didn't come to teach about his divinity, but to show us ours. And now, on that show in the New Age, she was actually one of the guests who was a Unity New Age minister said, well, Oprah, that captures the essence of the New Age. And she just kind of nods her head and she agrees. Now she gets really mad when somebody calls her a New Ager. You know, it's just, they've learned. I've watched as they shuck and they jive and they avoid being labeled and they move stuff off the Internet, move it on. It's going on in, in the church also. There's a lot of manipulation going. Do you see how subtle Satan is? I mean... That stuff was all done in the name of love. And Oprah really believes it. I really believed it. The most dangerous deception is you have a bunch of people like Oprah and me and others that really believe what we're doing. We really think that we're going to bring world peace. What does Daniel say in Daniel 8 about Antichrist? By peace he shall destroy many. He says he will destroy wonderfully. We're on the edge of a world global peace movement. I really believe it. I've been watching it build. And I've been watching people like Beth Moore as she says that God has impressed her that revival is coming and there's going to be an outpouring. And she does not want to even talk about the possibility that she might be wrong. And she doesn't tell anybody to test what she said. 
Instead, she said, there will be those who will say that this is not from God. Those are the scoffers that the Bible warns about. And then she says, turn to the person on your left and say the scoffers are coming. Then she says, test the spirit. It's really slick because you test the spirit of what she said about people that will say that revival might not be from God. So when someone like me stands up here, then they'll say, oh, yeah, that's what Beth Moore said. But she's not saying test the spirit of what she got or test the spirits of Jesus calling or anything. There's no testing of the spirits. It's like go into contemplative prayer, recite scripture, be still and know that I'm God, and then wait and see what Jesus would tell you. This is what the Passion Conferences have been with no warning about possible deception about the voices that come in a la 1st Timothy 4.1. Jesus can speak to any of us right now if he wants to. It just doesn't seem to be the way he's operating. He speaks to us through his word. His word is sufficient. A lot of people need something extra biblical. That, you know, There's a line in an old uh, Bob Dylan song, and he said, you say you lost your faith, but you had no faith to begin with. That's really what we're looking at. A lot of people, they, they flock to your local, uh, you know, Rodney Howard Brown a few years back had that whole laughing revival. People were flocking to Toronto and getting hit with holy laughter. It was an impartation. It's spiritual. And now he's kind of reinvented himself. I saw him on TV when I first got to Boca Raton. He's reinvented himself, and he's now in Washington, D.C. at Celebrate America conferences that he set up calling them Global Awakenings, Revival Incorporated is his label, and he's got people like Congressman Michelle Bachman on his conference. He's got Oliver North. He had Jonathan Kahn of the Harbinger. What are they doing with Rodney Howard Brown? When I saw him in Boca Raton on TV, he made this statement. He said, you can gain the whole world, but you don't want to lose your family. And then he went, which is obviously perverse in terms of scripture. You have to leave your family perchance, you know, if that means your faith or whatever. But he said... I'm going to have a grandchild. I'm not sure what the grandchild's going to be named. Maybe, maybe it'll be named Q. Maybe, maybe his name will be Quantum. That may not mean much to you, but it means a lot to me. I've got three chapters in my book, A Wonderful Deception. Quantum physics is going to be used and already is being used within the church and certainly in the New Age to try to prove that God is a force field that inter, it, it, he interpenetrates his creation. All is one. They're using quantum physics to try to do that they're trying to skip from the physical into the spiritual but what's born of the flesh is flesh what's born of the spirit is spirit why would rodney howard brown say his grandkid might be named quantum that that is completely in sync with the unholy spirit this is right here in your own town you've got a guy that's heading up a revival and he's doing it through bethel church in northern california He's hooked up with uh, Randy Clark, who took Holy Laughter to Toronto. I don't think, I, I think I've just got one booklet left, but I just reprinted an article that I did 20 years ago. When I saw Holy Laughter going crazy, I, I just went, wait a minute. If the Bible makes a case for anything, it's not Holy Laughter, it's Holy Sorrow. Jesus said, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn. So I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there, but this is all coming together. It's kind of like... In a way, I remember seeing an ad on TV, and there were all these puzzle pieces, and they were all floating in the air, and it was like, and all of a sudden, there was the picture. All this stuff's coming together, and what the devil wants is for us to say, wow, God's doing a new thing. All we have to do is just allow that he is in everything, and everything can change, and it would. 
that one thing, because you can still be a Christian, you can still be a Buddhist, you can still be a Muslim. If you accept that, then we can all link together and have world peace. A wonderful and a horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and my people love to have it so. Just a few other little... The, the catechism... Okay, Rick Warren was recently uh, with the Pope, and he's saying, basically, we've got everything in common with the Pope now. You know, forget the Reformation. It's just like, hey, we're there. We can join up with the Catholic Church. Well, in the 1994 Catechism of the Catholic Church, listen to this. Number 795, this is their doctrine. Let us rejoice then and give thanks that we have become not only Christians, but Christ himself. Do you understand and grasp, brethren, God's grace toward us? Marvel and rejoice. We have become Christ. Number 460, for the Son of God became man so that we might become God. One more. The only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. Excuse me, Rick. I don't think we have a whole lot in common for lots of other reasons, but that, that alone is why we do not want to join up with the Catholic Church. Glenn Beck, in a recent book, The Seven Wonders That Will Change Your Life, on page 58, if God is everything and everywhere and inside everyone, I'm not sure where he got that presupposition, then I figured he had to be inside me too. I wasn't here by accident. I was part of God's plan, and I had to respect that plan, or at least not resent it. I had to respect myself as part of him. Then he makes an outrageous statement. My father's granola, hippie, new age spirituality, which I actually agree with. So that's just a kind of a sampling. And then there's just scripture after scripture that uh, tells us, you know, uh, Deuteronomy 5, 7, there shall have no other gods before me. That would include a God that's inside everybody. Uh, the Egyptians, in Isaiah 31, 3, now the Egyptians are men and not God. Uh, Jeremiah 10, 3, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You know, this scripture after scripture, the one that... Uh, I think is really telling is uh, John 2, 24, 25, when Jesus says, or it says about Jesus, Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Now, if he was in man, why would he say that? So back to my testimony. It was like I was on a radio show once, and I thought it was a 45-minute show, and it was like 15 minutes. So she says, I'm right, right about where I am here. And she says, well, Warren, we've got about a minute. Uh, can you give us the rest of your testimony? In other words, can you get saved quickly? <laughs> and so what happened uh, is that we were just flying high, doing all of our New Age stuff. And suddenly, my wife was now doing therapeutic massage, Suddenly, after um, a client that she had in the morning, that afternoon she lay down uh, in the office. We were, we were you know, going through the New Age together. We were living together. We didn't know any better. And I was in San Francisco doing research on a book that I was doing about when I worked at the Greyhound bus station as a social worker. When I got back, she told me this amazing thing, this horrible thing that happened. And I, I wrote about it. When I returned the next week, Joy greeted me with a startling account of a strange and frightening incident that had happened on the very day I'd left on my trip. Earlier in the day, she'd worked on several new clients, and then in the afternoon, feeling unusually tired, she lay down in our study at home to rest for a few minutes. While in a very relaxed state but not asleep, she said she suddenly felt her spirit leave her body. At the same time, she could feel an awful, sinister male presence in the room that seemed to be zeroing in on her. 
Terrified, she summoned all her strength and willpower. She tried to fend off the presence, but with no success. She quickly understood that she was way over her head in some kind of intense struggle that was spiritual in nature and that the entity had the upper hand. She felt that in some insidious way the presence was trying to claim her. She didn't know why she knew that, but she did. Still lying on the bed and unable to get up or move, she was amazed at how strong and powerful the entity was. Her spirit and the entity were in a terrifying confrontation, and her own determination and willpower were no match for this adversary. In a last-minute desperate plea, she silently called out to God for help, and slowly, gradually, the entity began to back off and finally went away. With her spirit back in her body, she lay exhausted on the bed, bewildered and desperately shaken. A glance at the clock told her she'd been out of her body for about two hours. Joy assured me this was no dream and that she had been wide awake during the entire incident. I was dumbfounded. The encounter sounded like something out of the twilight zone. So our wonderful world, suddenly we were dealing with something that the New Age told us wasn't evil because there's no evil. So what did we do? Well, we're to look in a metaphysical mirror and realize that what we're looking at in an incident like that is our own fear. So we need to go inside ourselves, according to the New Age, and fix that fear, and then we won't see it anymore. Well, we did all that. didn't work. This thing would recur. It would come back periodically. It was mainly with my wife. She could, Her face would get kind of fuzzy, and I'd say, is that thing here? And she'd say, yeah. I would do affirmations like, oh, in The Course of Miracles it says, this is from the Jesus of A Course of Miracles, in my defenselessness my safety lies. How do you like that? It's kind of like the opposite of put on the full armor of God and stand fast against the wiles of the devil. In my defenselessness, you can do affirmations all day long, but if they're not true, they're not going to do anything. So we were beside ourselves. We just, you know, we went to our Course in Miracles group leaders. Uh, they, they had to stand in a circle and send love and light to this thing. And we broke the circle and I walked away and I said, is there anything else we can do? And the Course in Miracles group leader's wife, who was in the Course in Miracles, says, put on the full armor of God and stand fast against the wiles of the devil. And her husband goes, now, honey. And, and I, I'm going, what? What do you mean? There is no devil. She says, yes, there is. Read Ephesians 6. And he's just like patting her and saying, come on now, honey. We went home. I pulled down my Bible that had been given by a woman who felt really sorry for me because when I was visiting her about her son on my caseload, she said, Warren, do you love the Lord? And I said, yeah. She said, tell me about him. Well, when I told her, she was horrified. She went in the other room and came back with a big blue King James Bible from Southwest Bible Church. And I had that on my shelf. And I, I thought when she gave it to me, I said, gee, that same color as my Course of Miracles. That'll go real nice right next to it. So I pulled it down and I read it. And I read Ephesians 6 all the way through. And I turned to my wife and I said, well, that's really sweet. You know, she must have like been a, a Christian at one time or something, you know, that, you know, put it back. And she had been. And she got disillusioned wherever she was going to church, and she went into the New Age. And there's a lot of people fleeing the church today, and they're, they're moving into more metaphysical kind of New Age interpretations. So at Christmas, way back in 1983, we fled, basically, to Southern California, from Northern California, to Joy's mom's house, thinking we could leave this thing behind, and we were there like a day or so, and there it was again. So one day when Joy was visiting a friend, I was in Hermosa Beach at a bookstore called the Either Or Bookstore. And I went to the healing metaphysical New Age section. didn't even occur to me to go to, I don't think they even had a Christian section. And I looked through the titles of the books, and I saw this one that just jumped out at me. It's called The Beautiful Side of Evil by Johanna Michelson. Is anybody aware of that book? 
You're a pretty solid guy. <laughs> I pulled it down. I started reading. If she had started off by saying, you know, I was saved by the blood of the lamb, I would have like, but she started off by talking about her childhood. She traced her life, and I went, wow, this is just like, this is kind of like us, you know. And I'm reading through it, and she ended up um, in Mexico City working with a woman by the name of Pachita who was channeling a spirit guide named Hermanito, and they were doing these miraculous, seemingly, healings on people that were coming through. And Johanna Michelson's sister was actually married to Hal Lindsey at the time. And they were all concerned about Johanna and saying, you know, you need, to, you need to be careful. And she says, no, this is of God. This is of God. But then one day something happened, and there was like a, a shred of darkness that came through this otherwise light being named Hermanito, and it scared her. She went to Europe to kind of think things through, ended up at Labrie in Switzerland, Francis Schaeffer's place, Francis Edith Schaeffer. And she was convinced to pray, James 1.5, to ask for wisdom from God if what she was doing was of God. And she said, I'll pray this, but if I'm not convicted, I'm going back to Mexico City. I'm going to go back to the, uh, to the healing with Hermanito. Well, she was convicted. Shortly after that, in her meditation laboratory, she got, went into this meditated, visualized, and then the spirit guide that she was told and believed was Jesus Christ was there, and she tested the spirit, 1 John 4, 1, and when she did, it was, she said it was like her laboratory exploded and the, the Jesus Christ spirit guide disappeared forever, and she was shocked. She became a Christian, and she's, by this time, she's laying out scripture after scripture, like Matthew 24, 3 to 5, 1 Timothy 4, 1, stuff from 2 Thessalonians. And by now, I am just in rapt attention. I'm on the floor taking notes, writing this stuff down. And you could ask, why didn't you just buy the book? Hey, I'm not going to buy a Christian book, even though there's stuff here that's true. I mean, I was too proud. I was too proud to, to do that. So as I'm writing down notes, a homeless mentally ill guy that I'd seen on the street a couple days before came into the store back where I was writing notes and started screaming at me. He said, are you going to buy that book? What are you doing with that book? And I just kind of clutched the, her book to my chest, and I said, does evil know I'm reading about it? Can evil orchestrate a guy to come right off the street back into this bookstore? And it was like, yeah, wow, that was a, that, evil's real. Something's going on here. So she had the most amazing solution for dealing with spiritual presence. I wrote it down, put the book back on the bookshelf. Next day, Joy was getting what I called tweaked again. I said, Joy, let's go in your mom's backyard. Let's just try something a little bit different. Don't be scared. And reading directly from what I had copied from Johanna's book, I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to leave. I claim the blood of Jesus Christ. I forbid your presence here. Go to where Jesus would take you. Joy said, it's gone. What, What did you do? What happened? I said, well, I'm not exactly sure, <laughs> but... It has something to do with a victory that Jesus won on the cross of Calvary over s- Satan? There's a Satan? And we were just... So that was the beginning of our getting saved. I mean, we didn't do it immediately that day. We should have. And people later would say, how can you do that? You weren't a believer. And the best I can come up with two answers. One... The Ethiopian eunuch was reading the book of Isaiah. He didn't understand it. And Philip was sent alongside, explained it, says that the Ethiopian eunuch was saved and baptized on the spot. 
I was not doing the Sons of Sceva thing, like, in the name of Johanna Michelson's Jesus. You know, I wasn't doing that. I believed her. I believed what I was reading. So that's one explanation. The other one is later, after we were saved, after we got married, after, you know, we did everything properly, I was driving to work one day, and it was like, Lord, we're telling what happened to us to all of our New Age friends, and hardly anybody is buying it. I just can't believe it. How come? Like, how did we get out of the new age? And what came to my mind was that in my senior year at the University of Pennsylvania, in our fraternity house, we were told that we had a mandatory house meeting on a weeknight. My buddy and I were going to go out drinking, and we were really upset. We said, well, why do we have to be at a meeting at the fraternity house? Mandatory meeting. They said, Campus Crusade for Christ. And we went, huh? I don't think so. Yes, you do. So we went. Three guys came in, pretty courageous to come into our fraternity house. The first two guys had their testimony, and all I remember is like, yeah, sure, okay, we'll be in the bar soon. The third guy, all I remembered him saying at the end, and I was just like, what have you got to lose by asking Jesus into your life tonight? And I remember just thinking, oh, i got nothing to lose. I got nothing. It was, the Holy Spirit was so strong. I didn't know what, at that time what that was. So that night, I prayed on my bed, and I said, Jesus, if you're really out there, come into my life. And the cherry bomb went off in the alleyway next door, and you'll never walk alone was playing on the radio. And I went, whoa. Went to sleep, forgot about it. When I woke up the next morning, it was 17 years later when this was brought back to my attention. So we're in the seed. The seed by the wayside it was picked up, taken away, and uh, I just didn't, I didn't have any remembrance of that. So my explanation is that I sincerely, deeply asked Jesus, real Jesus, the one that was given to me and described by this Campus Crusade man, and Jesus was faithful because everybody I was around went to India to be with Rajneesh. I didn't. When they would worship him, I couldn't do it. I, I, I revered him. I read his books, but I couldn't worship him. I was working with a channeler, and most people want to learn how to be a channeler. I never, it never occurred to me to be a psychic or a channeler. It was like a, a, a parent with a tether where the kid goes down to the edge of the ocean and the parent pulls back. I really believe that the Lord just allowed me to experience those things, but I, I didn't quite dive off the cliff. I came close. So there are just tons of people that had experiences like mine with different you know, ways of doing it. But the whole bottom line is to convince the world that we are all one. It sounds really good. Peace, love, oneness, and happiness. It's like mom and apple pie. And the way they describe the, you know, the false Christ of the New Age describes Bible-believing Christians is that those who are into separation, we're not part of the oneness. We, we're separate. We you know, we're told to separate ourselves from the world, but now they come back and use that term. They don't say Bible-believing Christians at this point. They're getting closer. They say those who are into separation are begotten of hatred. Those who are into separation need to be driven from this world. I mean, these are, these are things that are coming from channeled Jesuses and, and figures that are being described as God, conversations with God, but Neil Donald Walsh, number one on the New York Times bestseller list for two and a half years, I don't know if I've ever heard a Christian leader address that book. 
I, I guess we're, we're getting pretty close to the end here. I, I, I could probably just keep pouring stuff out. But something is going on here, but it's not really being addressed. It's like I think it's going to get swamped and kind of like just done away with by, I'm sorry, I, I really feel a false revival is going to try to kick this thing in the back, the back room. So we better be really careful when people like Rodney Howard Brown are at the head of the revival parade. And uh, we can have revival. We can have revival in this, in this room. We can have revivals. I don't see anything in Scripture that says we're going to have some major revival in the church. When Jesus was asked, what is the sign of your return and the end of the world? He said deception was the very first thing that he said. The book of Revelation indicates that things are going to get worse and worse. The New Age is saying, the New Age Jesus and God are saying that we can have an alternative to Armageddon. We don't have to have Armageddon. That's going to be the fruit of people that, like Bible-believing Christians, that make it happen because they believe it's going to happen. And they make it look like we want it to happen. Jesus didn't tell us that to intimidate us or make us fearful. He saw what was going to happen. It's prophecy. It's coming down. And it's coming down fast. And Unfortunately, you know, we're not getting major headlines from a lot of the people that have microphones to describe this stuff. You've got people like me going, watch out for the new age. You know, it's like I get on the radio and watch out for the Course of Miracles. Then Oprah gets on and tells the world how great it is. So I'm really grateful that I got out of it. I'm really concerned about so many of my friends that are still there. And I'm really concerned about people that are reading Jesus Calling, The Shack, they're going up to Bethel Church. They're getting involved with music like Jesus Culture that is taking people into an experience. People want a word from God rather than the word of God. And I've actually got a booklet one, one day just to stay sane because I do so much of this other stuff. I, what does the Bible say about the Bible? And it's just amazing, you know, just amazing what Scripture. God magnifies his word above his name. It's sufficient. It's quick and powerful and active and, and sharper than an eight two-edged sword. So I really appreciate Pastor having me speak, and I, I hope that, you know, we'll just all learn to, to take a little more of a careful look at what's going on and not be too quick and measure everything like the Bereans did, Acts 17.11, to see if these things are so. So thank you very much.